0: Awesome. So we're continuing with our 10 series, and uh, they gave me the toughest one to preach on this morning, Um, but I guess that's fitting when I've given Pierre such a hard time over the years, he's just trying to get me back. Um, Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter twenty. God gave the Ten Commandments as guidelines for daily living. And although he gave the commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai um, more than 3,000 years ago, they're still relevant today. There's much talk and much confusion and much um, going on in the world and debate around whether the Ten Commandments still apply or not. Uh, People have Uh, misunderstood what it means when God said, uh, when Jesus said that he's done away with the law um, through the cross by faith. There were two kinds of laws, and we shouldn't get them confused. This, the Ten Commandments, were not laws as much as they were guidelines to what godly living should be. Then there were another set of laws. So these were called the Mosaic Laws and the Ten Commandments. But there was another set of laws that were there in how we obtain righteousness. In other words, you would eat kosher. You wouldn't eat meat with milk. And you wouldn't eat meat and milk off the same plate that would be considered unkosher. There was a certain way of living your life. You would have to have your head covered on a Friday. You weren't allowed to walk. All of those laws were done away with. But the Ten Commandments, which is called the Decalogue, which is the Greek word for ten words, applies and it still stands today and the Ten Commandments, interestingly enough, are divided into two sections: the first four are about our relationship with God so if you if you study this and it 's alarming that if you were to stop a Christian in the street and ask them, could they recite the Ten Commandments, you would find that only about 5% or even less of Christians in the world can actually articulate the Ten Commandments. Yet these are guidelines by which we should live. And never mind they they can't articulate ten, they can't articulate the first four. Then we have the next ones, five through ten, which pertain to our relationship with other people. And about 1,300 years, 1,300 years after God gave these commandments, Jesus upheld them. He actually placed these laws on a higher plane, demanding that the spirit as well as the legal aspects of the law, were observed. And he placed his stamp of approval on these commandments by declaring in Matthew chapter five, verse 17. He says this: "Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets." Notice that he he puts in a a statement there: the law of the prophets, and not just the law, not righteousness law. He said, "I did not come; uh, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill." At the cross, Jesus fulfilled this. He gave it his stamp of approval, and therefore it still applies. I've had uh, uh, interesting conversations with church leaders and and some people who think that we no longer have to live by this. And the more we perpetuate that kind of thinking, the more society will degrade and slide down into anarchy. And we will see more murder. We will see more rape. We will see more violence against women. We will see more theft. And we will see more um, lying and adultery. We will see more dishonor for God. And we will see countries becoming completely secular. Because we've done away with this law. And Pierre referred to this last week that Jesus came to uphold the Ten Commandments, and fulfill them. The text for today is in Exodus chapter 20, and I want to read it to you, and it'll be up on the screen. Verses 3 to 6, and I'm reading from the ESV. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, So angels and things like that. Or that is in the earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. There are two parts to this, the idols that we bow down to and the idols that we serve. Now we know the idols that we bow down to are the ones that we make, the golden calf or the the carved image the, the gods that we create in our lives, that we actually worship, that we actually get on our knees before and bow down and give homage to. But then there's also the serving of them, which is totally something separate. It's not something you've carved. It's something which you've allowed to become an idol or we've allowed to become an idol that we give our devotion and attention to. It's the, what we give our our time and our resource and our energy to, that becomes an idol. And when you serve that, God puts it in the category of hating him. Isn't that interesting? And then he says, you mustn't be dismayed if the 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 curse that comes with that, the iniquity that comes with that, goes to the third and fourth generation. But for those who will lay aside their idols, that will deny their idols, that will lay them down, a blessing for a thousand generations will come. I'd rather have the latter than the former. I don't know about how many of you have had to actually go through a process at some stage in your life where we're trying to deal with the sins of the past. Where we're taking authority or an ax to the root of the sins of the forefathers. Anybody in that category this morning, you've had to go through that? Uh, for myself and my family, we've had to deal with Freemasonry. Something that was completely entrenched in our family. Where my, my grandfather, my uncle, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my father, all went up the ranks. High up. And we've had to take authority over that. And my father, before he, he died, renounced it, accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior, and accredited the demise in his family and the breakdown in his family to the curse that came along with it. So, this is quite a, a tough topic this morning and a sobering one. But more than it becoming a tough topic, I want it to be a moment of introspection this morning where. We actually examine our own lives and we look at our hearts and we ask ourselves, what have we allowed to become idols in our lives? I've got good news for you. We're all idolaters in some shape or form. So you're not in, it's not like you're going to be singled out as an idolater. All of us have the struggle. We know that the word also tells us that everybody sins and falls short of the glory of God. It's that thing which consumes us. Can you hear the harleys going past? Hark, the herald angel sings. It's an idol. Sorry, Chris. It was an idol in my life. I laid it down. How should we treat idols, and what we should we say to them to avoid them where 's the picture of my idol? <laughs> we should say no to them and avoid them <laughs> Now Heinz, uh, if you have guessed, uh, you might not know that he 's a a member in our church, and he's away ministering somewhere else. I don't know, where is he? He's in Pretoria this weekend. Um, And I told him I was going to do this, and I wanted him to be here to, to experience the moment. But that was completely a joke. We love Heinz, and he is not the idol that we're talking about today. I want to define what we're talking about today when it comes to idols. What constitutes an idol for us? I, I, I thought about this long and hard and I came up with my own little saying or whatever you want to consider it. Okay, get behind me now. The traffic light has changed and they're leaving. Be gone, Beelzebub. You see, that's authority, don't I don't think. <laughs> this is what, I, what I, I, to sum up an idol is this. It's not what you have or hanker after that is considered an idol. It is what has you. And what I mean by that is what consumes you. An idol is any person, object, or activity you give higher priority to in your life than your relationship with God. An idol can be your home, your job, your position, a vehicle, a relationship, or even your family. An idol can be alcohol, drugs, sex, Or any sin. An idol can be work. And the work you do for the Lord, your calling can be an idol. Everything and anything can become an idol in our lives if it consumes all your energy and time, your sport. God makes it very clear in his word that he is a jealous God, and he wants our time and attention. When I look at the scripture, it says right in the very beginning, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, there should worship no other gods, and there should be no other form of worship to any other god. And I want to start off this morning with the first point by talking about what do we what is the definition of worship in this context now i 've done an exhaustive exegesis study on worship but i 'm not going to bore you with that this morning um, that 's something i 'm passing on to Brian and he 's going to pick it apart and uh, hopefully one day we 'll unleash that kind of thing in a more of a Of a teaching and in depth look at what worship is. But the definition of worship in the context of today's text is that which is that which we give our lives wholeheartedly to, which occupies most of our time and energy and resources. The argument has come up so many times we don't have enough to give to the work of the ministry because we've given it all to our idols. They don't say that part. I'm just saying it for you. Because we've invested so much money in things that are temporary and not things that are eternal. The Bible says we should lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not here on earth where moth and thief will destroy. Yet we, the, the, the compulsion of it draws us in. And we can't deal with it in any other way. It seems to consume us and, and pull us into that place that we give all of our devotion and time and energy to that thing. We're living in a day and age where The world of technology can be all-consuming. How much time we spend looking at a screen that isn't bigger than the palm of our hand. And how much of that time has taken our children and held them captive in the idolatry of the information age. Where time and energy... And effort and resource is given to that. Where gaming has consumed people's lives, there's this thing called Pokemon Go. I wish it would go. I was reading an article the other day, uh, I think it was in Popular Mechanics, that Pokemon, since its release, has already reached its peak. And then in a news article I read this morning is that a woman was killed by a driver in Japan who was pursuing a Pokemon whilst driving. All-consuming. Obsession. What are we obsessed with? Sometimes we make our families the priority to the point Where we are so obsessed about our families and what they do and how we provide and what's going on in the the family that we totally neglect God in the process. And yet God is so clear in his word in Matthew chapter 6. In verse 33, he says, If you seek first the kingdom of God, I will what? Withhold everything. From you. That's what he says. Because that's how we live. Well, that's what we believe, he says. No, it doesn't say that it says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, I will add all these things to you. You see, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the ability to trust God and not pursue it. Faith is the ability to surrender and know that if I worship God wholeheartedly, he will give me the desires of my heart. Psalm 37.4 says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. There's something that we need to learn how to do, and that is to put what we held so dear on the altar for God. And that's easier said than done, isn't it? In our worship, we should say, Lord, this is our worship. We're laying it on the altar for you. I'm going to show you how we do that. How we put things on the altar. This is going to be a very tricky exercise. so If I wipe out, please don't laugh. Call the paramedics. My will is intact. But... What we say is when God, okay, we get to the point where we say, okay, God, I'm going to surrender in my worship. I'm going to wholeheartedly, and I'm going to actually lay everything down. I'm going to put it on the altar. And then when we put it on the altar, we do this. We want to make sure that we've got one foot off the altar just in case. We can't get it all on. The idea of getting on the altar, don't you dare take photos and put this anywhere. This is getting on the altar. I, I'm warning you. And, and then, then you trust God completely. And you stay on the altar. You leave what it is that we've laid on the altar and the greatest thing we can lay on the altar of God is our lives. But sometimes we also have to sacrifice those things that hold us back. I'm working through a book with a number of leaders called Men's Secret Wars. And uh, when we go through this book, it's a, it's a really difficult book to work through because it really digs deep into your, into your personality, your character, your history, how you wired, how you behave the way you ha- behave. And it's interesting that when you go through this material, that it actually starts to reveal why you pursue the addictions you, you pursue, like work, why you become a workaholic, because you're attempting to fill a void that is in your life, and you want to fill it with work or with sport or with whatever it is that you are driving Or music, or whatever it is. You want to fill it with that thing. And it becomes the thing that controls you. We need to learn that there are things that we need to put on that altar. that holds us back from wholeheartedly worshiping God and it's not easy it often results in the deepest kind of pain that you can even imagine but God in his goodness will extend his grace and the comfort of the holy spirit to strengthen us with his fruit which is love, joy, kindness, patience, goodness, long-suffering, gentleness, and self-control. The second point this morning from this text is not conforming to the patterns of this world. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, he wrote this, He appealed to you, therefore, brethren, uh, some, of the context, some of the translations say this, I beseech you therefore, my brothers. In other words, I plead with you. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's the altar request. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship. That's the worship is in the same context of Exodus chapter 20. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Patterns of this world, unfortunately, are the things that determine our behavior pretty much. If you think about how much information we are getting on a daily basis, whether it's the news, whether it's billboards, whether it's commercials, whether it's TV, magazines, you're being fed with information that... Begins to define who you are. You know how with a magazine they they portray a certain image and then you see that society trying to conform to that image. A soccer player goes and he cuts his hair in the weirdest kind of haircut you've ever seen, and then you see everybody starting to cut their head like that. They even call it the English cut or the soccer English cut. I remember when David Beckham a number of years ago cut this weirdest hairstyle and he looked like something out of a sci-fi movie. It wasn't even a month or two later all the kids were cutting their hair like that. We're conforming to the patterns of this world. We start to take on the image of that which consumes us. And we are not called to conform to the patterns of this world, but to conform to the patterns of heaven and the kingdom of God. And I know this is easier said than done. Trust me, I don't get it right. But it is achievable. Paul says, by the mercies of God. By the by the charis of God. By the grace of God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Sometimes we think we have to wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. And he gives us power to resist. He gives us power to overcome. He gives us power to put our trust wholeheartedly in God we also make idols of other things that come into our lives like experiences do you know that experiences can become an idol as a child growing up you might have experienced a A moment of rejection, which wasn't fleeting, but something that's really cut into your soul, into your heart. And you make your rejection your idol because it determines how you spend the rest of your life living. Everything is filtered through your rejection. Not only a negative experience, but a positive experience. Perhaps you you experience something so Significance and so powerful that that becomes the, 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 the idol in our lives. And we pursue, we chase the experience and no longer the God of the experience. Maybe it's a healing and then we pursue the healing and not the healer. It becomes an all-consuming thing. And we allow it to become that. Do you know that even the benefits and blessings of God can become idols? Because we allow them to become more important than God himself. Ministers are renowned. Ministers are renowned. Ministers of the gospel are renowned for becoming so consumed by the work of the Lord that they neglect the Lord of the work. It's a continual battle. And if we don't make God primavera, the ultimate, number one, if we don't make him the focal point, we've allowed these other things to become idols in our lives. Isn't this a very depressing message this morning? Don't allow that experience of depression to become your idol now. Do you know that success and victories can also become idols? Revelation 4.10 paints one of the most spectacular pictures of humility and putting God first. In Revelation 4.10, it says the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created they victories. The crown represents the victories and the success of life. Perhaps you've achieved success in your business, and it's become your idol. Lay it down. Perhaps you've achieved success in other parts of your, of your life. Lay it down. Take that crown and lay it at the feet of Jesus this morning. Say, Lord, today I want you to be the one to receive glory and honor and power. For you are the one who has created all things. And by your will they it will exist. And they, they do exist and they will exist Forever. See, the elders could have hung on to their crowns that represented their success, but they laid down their their, their crowns for the value of God and they wanted him to receive the glory. So I'm closing with this. Point number three. Recognizing and getting rid of the idols in your life. Just because... You don't bow down and worship a golden statue does not mean that you don't have idols. In fact, I believe nearly every single person struggles in some way with idolatry, as I've said already. And here's a quick way to determine the things in your life which could easily become your idols. And just as important to know how to get rid of your idols in your life. We need to be able to identify them to get rid of them. I want you to try this little exercise. On your seat, there is a pen and a blank sheet of paper. And I want you to do this honestly If you're serious about your relationship with God, I want you to do this honestly. I want you to do this. Those pens are quite hard to pull apart. Just give it a good yank. If you can't, give it to somebody next to you who's got a bicep. I want you to do this personally. Personally not in consultation with your neighbor, and you can't copy. We have monitors who will catch you cheating. They're called angels. Make a list of all the things that are important in your life. All the things about which you might say, I don't know how I could live without this. Number the list in order of priority, one being the most important. And obviously, people here this morning and those listening to the sermon will probably have God on their list. So, you can make God an all encompassing His Word, His church, His Son, His Spirit, worshiping, His presence, etc. We understand that. But other things on your list might be spouse, children, jobs, hobbies, etc. You might even have things on your list like getting married someday, or having children, or finding a partner. In other words, some things on your list might be the things that you are pursuing rather than things you already have. And anything you see as being extremely important in your life needs to be on this list. So I'm going to take a while. We're going to have about a five-minute moment now where you quietly reflect and you start to make that list. And while you do that, Kareen's going to minister to us in song. So you make your list. Take your time. I'm waiting.
1: I just need to keep you.
0: Everything on your list, with the exception of God, might already be an idol in your life, regardless of where they ranked in priority. If any of these things or people you have considered more important than God by means of the amount of time, energy, and devotion you give it, and in so doing, neglecting your relationship, with God and making Him a priority, it is an idol. Now I want to request you to honestly put a square around those things that fall in that category. Look at your sheets of paper. I've made mine, just in case you think I wasn't involved. Here's mine. And I've I've marked them. I've put my circles and squares about the things in my life. And then I want you to, once you've done that, I want you to bow your head. And hold that piece of paper in your hand. And ask God to forgive you for making those things an idol. Just ask God, say, God, forgive me for allowing these things to become an idol in my life and distracting me from my relationship with you. great and together we're going to pray this and I want you to I want you to all pray this out aloud and we'll start and read it together so here we go it's up on the screen Father God I have repented of my idolatry okay let's we're going to do better than that this morning Father God I have repented of my idolatry And today I make you the priority in my life. I take comfort and courage in the fact that your word promises that if I put you first, then all things will be added to me. I put my faith and trust wholeheartedly in you and choose today to worship you only in Jesus' name, amen.